Hey everyone, it is Corey again for the third time. Hannah has not made me a book commercial, but that's okay because she is the tortured artist and it also happens to be her book launch day. Uh, if you're listening today, May 7th is the day Millenniagram goes onto shelves all across the world in bookstores and on Amazon. Um, so go get it if you haven't already. We need to see her on the New York Times bestsellers list. Today is a special episode. We're taking a break from regular programming and doing a special Millenniagram episode. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, hey, Hannah. This is Chris Hewerts, and I uh, just wanted to congratulate you on uh, birthing a beautiful gift to the world. And uh, really, I, I think doing as much or more for type descriptions than anyone has since Helen Palmer's ovarial work dropped. So you are a force to be reckoned with. You are a uh, champion of compassion and how you make uh, humanity so beautiful and, and, and simple, accessible and, and, and authentic is, is truly a gift. Uh, it's tough, you know, writing a book, as you now know, is full of celebrations and milestones. And at a certain point, there's a kind of fatigue, like how many more drafts of this? How many more versions of this? How many more accomplishments do we celebrate? But this really is it. And uh, so I hope you can just rest in the gift of, of what you've done and in the gift of, of, of the treasure that you are uh, sharing with the world. Thanks so much, Hannah. Hey Hannah, it's Jonah. I am so excited and so proud of you. You did the thing, you wrote the book, and I cannot wait to spread the gospel of the Enneagram goddess. Hey Hannah, this is Turner. I just wanted to say congratulations on your book. I'm so proud of you, so excited. I can't wait for everyone to experience how wonderful you are and learn all about themselves. Congratulations, you did it, bitch! So here we are. We are celebrating the launch of Hannah Posh's new book, Millenniagram, which I knew would happen before she did because I told her, hey, Hannah, you should start a podcast because pretty soon publishers are going to start hitting you up to write a book. <laughs> and then we took too long because Hannah's disorganized <gasps> and Harper reached out to her and she started writing a book before the podcast. So it's kind of like the cart got put before the horse in a lot of ways in my prophetic wisdom oh, wow. but Beautiful. here we are who, who, it's me say, who's, who's here yes it's me the prophet that called <laughs> all of this into being <laughs> rebecca who keeps hannah on task and which which you've heard recently in mating call part two it's rebecca lujan loveless and, to you um, Corey. That's Madame Lujan Loveless to you. Madame Lujan Loveless. (laughs) And we have Hannah Posh, the person that wrote this book in the margins of her schedule while she was working 80 hours a week being a social worker and evicting homeless people out of their newly furnished homes from the Arizona government. Oh, my God. He's going to drag you. I just I can already feel my... my my soul, my organs being splayed out <laughs> along the road. So today we are talking about this book and also Rebecca and Hannah, mostly Rebecca has come up with this drinking game that you can participate yeah, if you're not in driving, if you're not then driving. We, we invite you to go or operating any heavy machinery. 
Yeah, I mean, it depends on what kind of machinery. It does but, depend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, if you are... Dildos aside. Besides, like, <laughs> that kind of heavy machinery. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, yes, grab yourself your favorite beverage um, because we have a drinking game that we're going to play while we interview Hannah about the launch of her book, Millenniagram. So... Um, we have a concoction, um, a tequila concoction that Josh has made us that is way stronger than it should be. Um, so we're going to like, we'll, we'll take like little small sips. Every time anyone says queer, trauma, or what was the other one? Millennial. Millennial. Those are, that's my whole vocabulary. Yeah. So we're going to so be basically think, crunked by the end of this. I don't this. think I can say words now. Yeah. Well, okay. try not, try, you can try to avoid it, but I don't think you'll get through this without it. I so. sure won't. So yeah, we are excited to um, take a little break from our, um, our scheduled programming about um, the Enneagram and about all of the different ways that the Enneagram can inform how we interact in the world. And we're going to talk about your book, which is about the Enneagram. Fuck yes. So, um, Hannah Posh, thanks thanks for being here today. How are you? And we are excited to have the launch of your book. It's, it's being, it's coming out on May 7th, which is very soon. So probably by the time you're hearing this, it's going to be like hours before the birth. So how's the labor going? Wow. Well, um, I gave birth many months ago. Uh Oh, so now you're just like in like the postpartum phase. But I super can't wait to get all of my mewling infants in your laps and hands. Are they going to be mewing? They're mewling. Oh, mewling. What is that? I don't even know what mewling means. It's like like not quite a cry, but it's like a cry line. Okay, got it. My mewling infants. Well, one of the things that I wanted to do, I think that would be really helpful for all of your listeners and all of the people who are your fans and all of your adoring um, friends. I think a lot of people that listen to the podcast, a lot of people that are excited about Millenniagram, the book coming out, um, don't really know the backstory of who you are. We know you to be the mob boss of misfit queers, and we know you to be the purveyor of sad pep talks. We know that you are, when you feel ever so inclined, that you are the queen of side boob on the internet. But we don't know a lot of the actual, like, you know, the the background story of how we got this um, mob boss of misfit queers. So I'd love for you just to tell us a little bit about your... You just said queer like three times, so that's three Oh my God, you're right. Here, let's clink. Clink. All right. And clink, clink, and clink. And clink. Okay, I said so many times queers, and that's just the beginning. Hold mm. on, let me take a shot. They're gonna clink, and I'm going to do ASMR. <laughs> As we sip, hold on, Corey. Be- Here, hold on. Yes, he's drinking out of his Nalgene bottle. That is that is like the wow. consummate one partier right there. Look at it. Um, okay, so I want to hear. <laughs> I want to hear a little bit about who you are, where you grew up. I'd love to hear a little bit about your um, your story of how you were educated. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that backstory, please. Yes. So uh, if you have listened to Corey's podcast, Failed Missionary, you've heard me talk about being um, an evangelical missionary kid growing up in Mexico, um, super homeschooled, super... Um, sheltered, super, like, just cute and naive. and. Are we talking, like, long skirts? No, no, no. Kind of no, no, no. I wore pants for sure. But, like, I... 
but like I no actually there were a lot of long skirts but it wasn't like required mm. um but they did play a role mm. um but there was a lot of um like and such as I didn't know what sarcasm was mm. um yeah I can't so just, even imagine. just a real sweet little naive Christian baby girl mm-hmm. um and I discovered the Enneagram when I was graduating from college when Which, I was 17. I'm sorry. Can you just really briefly just rewind the tape for a second? Because I think that that is a fact that might be lost on a lot of people. She said when she was graduating from college. When I was 17. When she was 17. Yeah. I discovered the Enneagram as I was graduating from college. You know, there comes a time in every homeschool mother's life where they're like, oh, I wasn't... Uh, educated to teach you you know through every grade of your life that's not that's not my area of expertise so why don't I just put you in somebody else's care and that care was community college so so you're telling me that how old were you when you went to college for the first time it was either 12 or 13 I can't remember if Amy was 12 and I was 13 or Amy Amy was 11 it's your sister yeah Amy was 11 and I was 12 either way Mm -hmm. 12-ish 12-ish so you went to actual college correct as an adolescent as a child yes and what was that like I mean literally you were a child so you're walking in with like actual I was gonna call them grown-ups but I don't know they're like quasi grown-ups at that point yeah um it was a train wreck for sure for sure in what way I was terrified to walk the halls because I did not want to be looked at because I was tired of being condescended to. So by the time Amy and I had been in college for two years and had graduated with our associate's degrees, when we went to Arizona State, we were like, we're going to con everybody and make them think that we're grown-ups by like what we wear and how we talk and everything. And honestly, not going to lie, nobody ever found out. So when you went to ASU, no one knew that you were... I mean, the registrar, I No one knew that you had started your period like five seconds earlier. Yeah, right. Okay. (laughs) Got it. Um, Okay, so that must have been pretty, pretty crazy. I know that there was a lot of pressure to put on you to be a good student, and um, you did. You excelled above above your peers, and... Yeah, that's fine. Um, I peaked early. Is it true... Confirm or deny this, please. Is it true that the mob boss of Misfit Queers, Ayo. All right, there it is. Um, went to Moody Bible Institute? Uh, she did. She super dropped out. Tell um, us about that. I went to grad school, you know, because it just seemed to, like, be the thing that people were doing. <laughs> Wait, all, all the 17-year-olds you knew? Yeah, you know, you know like, I mean. I'm going to grad school. So my sister was going to grad school, and all my friends were enrolling in the undergraduate Moody program. So I was like, well, I'm bored. I, I don't have anything to do. I might as well go to grad school. Throw my hat in the ring, you know? And uh, so, yeah. So I went to Moody. I was super stoked. I was like, 2,000 best friends built in um, urban studies. Mm. Yeah. Because I thought it sounded trendy and I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So I was like, definitely I should study that. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I definitely became like the the hoe bag on campus, you know, except like the I'm virgin sorry. hoe bag. Yeah, I was going to say, the virgin hoe bag. you had your first kiss at that point. Uh-uh. No, no, no. But I just looked like it because I wore red lipstick. Hey, slut. 
Uh, yeah, that's what the sluts do, you know, mm. back in 1800. Um, yeah, so I went to Moody, super dropped out, super got out of there with a major depressive episode and lost my mental health and my joy and will to live. So it was a great time. We had fun. So that is actually really interesting, I think, how it leads actually into your love for writing and for communicating because you were taught to do that kind of on an expert level at such a young age. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear a little bit about like the backstory of like where the term Millenniagram came from um, and how it kind of like you said you were an Enneagram nerd for so much longer before it was like popular. Mm -hmm. So tell us about like your Enneagram journey and how you coined that term Millenniagram. (laughs) Well. Also, I want to drink. So trauma, queer. Yeah. That's three drinks. Hey. That's three drinks. Oh my god, I love that we have the, the one is going to be counting. The one is going to be tally He's not marking. even imbibing, but he's going to be. I love it. So, okay, yeah, Enneagram. Um, yeah, how, so how did you how did you first like discover the Enneagram? What was it that was like intriguing to you? And then how did it evolve into Millenniagram? Oh, my best friend's like super square ex-boyfriend introduced us to it. Um Yeah, he, like, brought us the Rizzo and Hudson personality types book, and I was like, oh, my fucking God, I need one of these for myself, except, of course, I wouldn't have even thought fuck back then. Um, What was it that was so intriguing to you? um, I think I've always been, I've always been fascinated by people and how they work. I would follow my mother around, like, hyper-vigilantly, like, watching all of her micro-expressions and trying to figure out what was going on in her head. And all of a sudden, it felt like, oh, the Enneagram, now I have a rubric for for understanding where people are coming from. And if, if I'm able to help somebody else find out their number, then I can kind of see where they're coming from. And it really came from a genuine place of, like, empathy and curiosity, even at that age. Wow. I was I was stoked about learning where other people were coming from. And honestly, like, you know, the missionary kid life, one of the one of the positive things of that experience was that I was constantly learning to think outward. Um, I was very like, I mean, as a four, I had my, I had a healthy dose or a heavy dose of self-absorption. But mm. at the same time, I was super fascinated with other people, other cultures, how they worked, why they did what they did on a like systemic level and on an individual level. So all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is it. This is like, um, this is my tool for kind of deciphering where other people are coming from. How did other people in your life react to your like newfound passion? Um, everybody was like super, you know, people love to talk about themselves. Mm. So if you facilitate that process, people are going to be into it. Interesting. I don't know if the, if if this seems like it relates, but like, I feel like even the term Enneagram coming from like such a conservative background, similar to you, like the term Enneagram sounds a little like. Witchy woo woo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think. I think my parents were a little bit like, mm, let's do some research on this first. Right. But th- there was nothing t- to like, they, w- they didn't discover anything that made them uncomfortable, so they let me be. Switching gears, um, Corey, I have a question for you. Oh, for the okay. prophet himself. For the prophet Corey himself. Corey, uh, what was your first impression of one Hannah Posh? 
Oh my god, listeners. Are we I literally would... going to talk about how he ignored the fuck out of me? Yes, we are. Let's yes, do it. Yes, we are. Oh Let's my god, he thought he was gonna troll me, and I am trolling him. Bitch! <laughs> uh, well, Hannah and I both revolved around the same church community in Nashville for a number of months or years. I don't even know, because I was bouncing all over the place. He was like, I'm uh, in China. With, I'm important. Oh. <laughs> well, I never I never acted like that, but either way, um we were at different ends of situations of social how do I want to say this? Social networks. I had people Yeah, I had people warning friend, me that I should He was friends with my ex-husband. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You just said you had people warning you about her? Yeah, just saying, like, you know, maybe don't get too close or don't, uh, you know, socialize too much. Hey. I am, like, I have. But it was, it was, it was, it was friends of her ex husband, which we actually weren't ever friends. We were so more acquaintances. Yeah, I assume so. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, okay, yeah. okay. Well, she also wears but red lipstick, then, and you know what that means? <laughs> but then. You know, I started getting on Twitter, oh. and back then I only had like five followers. I wasn't as famous as I am today with twenty three hundred. Can you even imagine? I know, right? But w- when I was inter- uh, when I was intertwining my feeds and Hannah's feeds, and I saw Hannah posting this video, singing a song she made up, saying, "Ah, oh, dick is abundant." No. I was like, oh my god! Oh, it wasn't. I remember that uh, one. Oh no! Yeah. Well, I wasn't around. He hated. That time. No, no. Wait, he hated it. Dick is a. I was so weird. <laughs> I, I was like, that was the weirdest shit I've ever done. It was the repressed queer in you. No, no, no. But it But it was one of those like weird videos online that you like. It's weird, but it's kind of like fast food and you keep going back because it's like, how can somebody actually act like I'm, this? I really like love to be the online Big Mac. You're I like, do. it's like, it's making my body feel bad, but I need it more. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so then I just started hanging out on her feeds and interacting with her. And then I think I DM'd her on Twitter and we started becoming friends. And oh I, my God, bitch, that's how you, said, that's how you get the best friends of your life. Yeah. Is when they slide into that D M. That's what you did, bitch. I know. I know. I know. So anyway, that's kind of what happened. And it actually was once I got to know, once I, I think once Hannah and I had a real conversation, it was like, I realized how much of it was fake of like what I had previously heard. And then we just became really good friends. And then I told her she should do a podcast. Hey, Hey, Hannah, it's it's the Lulos. Lulos. It's Josh. Rebecca. Gavin. India. Kingston. And we're here with Earl Grey and Ruth. And we're super proud of you. All seven of us. You've written a book. You put words to thoughts and feelings that many, many people have wondered about and hope to hear from you about for a really, really long time. And I know you're gonna inspire a lot of people. We're really, really, really proud of you. We love you, forehead. Congrats. Great job, Hannah. We love you, Hannah. And we can't wait to hear about all of the tears that are gonna be cried and the laughs that are gonna be had and the lives that are gonna be changed by your work. Hi, Hannah, it's Shafe. Congratulations on your very first book. Woo, the first of so many, I have no doubt. 
Enjoy your day. Hey, Hannah, it's your favorite seven, Ethan. Congrats on your beautiful book, baby. Now go celebrate because you deserve it. Um, I don't think you answered, Hannah, how you coined the term millenniagram. Where did that come from? I want to hear the actual origin story. Do you? Do you? (laughs) I already know it, bitch, so go ahead. Uh, um, It was my ex-girlfriend's idea. Say more, please. No, that's all. You don't want to talk about it? No. Why? That's the name of your book and it's the name of your brand. I just, so... I was really, there's a couple pieces. It all happened like within the span of like a month. I was really sad and I was going through the Dutch Bros drive-thru as one does. um, And we were writing together. And I was like, you know what? I just want to be, I just want to be like the millennial Oprah, but like garbage. You know what I mean? I was like, garbage Oprah. Fuck. There it is. And then um, I did say millennial, so. Oh, yeah. Uh There you go. And then shortly thereafter, uh, we were we were sitting at at coffee in Nashville and talking about the Enneagram and you know I was talking about how I wanted to put shit out there, um, but f- like I I was talking about how my my vision was to kind of create not a new vocabulary but just like an amended translation essentially of the Enneagram for my generation because it had been such a useful tool to me in my personal self-growth and it seems like we live in a time where um, it's really all hands on deck and but in order for us to be able to do activism properly to do theology uh, uh, properly in order to have like anything to bring to the political fight um, in front of us that we have to we have to have ourselves built on firm foundations so anyway, I was talking about millennials and the Enneagram, and she was hey, like, hey. "She was like, Millenniagram, you're welcome." And I was like, "Oh, did bitch. you send? Have you sent her a gift? You should send her a gift basket on Tuesday." And I, be like, this is, "This is all because I of you." I truly should actually. You're not lying. Like an edible arrangement or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, like cantaloupe dipped in chocolate. Maybe, maybe just like banana dicks. <laughs> I'm sure she would really appreciate <laughs> that. Banana dicks. Banana dicks. Banana dicks are abundant. Yeah. Um, I would like to know how, um, what it's like for you to be a millennial woman, a expert on the Enneagram, because um, obviously the Enneagram is a very trendy um, topic. It's a trendy conversation piece. It's a concept that I think is caught on um, multi generationally, um, but also. Um, evangelicals have co-opted it. Um, cishet white straight culture has um, co-opted it, but it was never meant to be like necessarily seen through that particular lens. So, what's it like for you to be a millennial woman who's an expert <laughs> at the Enneagram? Um. Hmm. Well, I don't. I don't really expect the old guard to respect me much. Um. But that's not the. That's not the goal. I respect them very much and you know all of I've learned so fucking much through the years reading Rizzo and Hudson and Palmer and Stabile and um uh Sandra Maitri and Chris Hewitt's and like all of them I look up to so much and have just like I have read their shit mm-hmm. wide-eyed and 
So, um, but I don't necessarily expect to um, have them see me in the same light. I think for me, it's very much about like providing a tool to my peers. Why, why do you feel like that that was important? Um, you learned so much from, from the old guard, from the way that it's been yeah, talked yeah. about for so long. So why did you feel like it was important or necessary to translate it? I think I recognized that, um, that my fascination with the more like dry academic, mm-hmm. um, Enneagram, uh, leaning into your five wing on that one. Definitely. Definitely. I have gone in and out throughout my life, but, um, I recognize that my fascination with, you know, going in deep with the way other people work and their hangups and their childhood wounds and their coping mechanisms and all of the... Would you say their childhood trauma? trauma. Mm. All of that is so fascinating to me. And I, but I didn't, I, I didn't expect that everybody would have the same would invest the same time and energy in that pursuit. Mm. Um, so it kind of felt like, um, you know, similar to my Christian days, like I'm not probably going to go learn all of the ancient languages of the scriptures, but it meant a lot to me when like um, queer women or women of color theologians <laughs> uh, would would reinterpret you know, the, the, the scriptures for me, like Mm -hmm. they brought it to me and that, that to me felt like such a gift. Mm. Um, and I would watch, um, I would watch them do that. And so I was kind of like, well, here's something that I have sort of a background view on that I can bring to people who maybe aren't going to go on that deep dive on their own. You know, when sitting here listening to you say that, I feel like it's kind of illuminating something for me right now, because I feel like, you know, interacting inter- interacting with you on online specifically on Twitter what i find so fascinating is that a lot of people have learned the the language of the enneagram from the old guard it's this very particular kind of uh, vernacular that mm-hmm. is spoken um, and then you'll go on on Twitter and you'll talk about that, but in in Hannah Pasha's voice, in the way that that you talk and the way that you interact with your peers and your humor and your sarcasm. Um, but what I think is really fascinating, as kind of like from like an anthropological perspective, is that I think a lot of people have seen the Enneagram as a tool of illumination of like, oh, that's why I do what I do, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about it. I don't know if you've, I think you have noticed this, that people like are like, stop reading my mail. Stop dragging me. I don't appreciate that. Like they feel so seen, but even more than seen, they feel exposed, but in a, in a good way. Um, so I think that that's really interesting because the way that you've translated it has allowed millennials specifically to, to feel seen Mm. because I think there's so much stereotypes around that particular generation, um, particularly from the old guard. Well, yeah. And I think, when I read, when I read the majority of Enneagram literature, I'm definitely not saying all, but when I read the uh, the when I read the majority, I feel like I'm reading something that a, my, one of my parents wrote. Oh, yeah. um, and that's not bad in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't feel particularly it doesn't feel particularly relevant to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't feel uh, exposing. It doesn't feel interesting. Um, I think that I, I take that back. I think that I can do the translation in real time mm-hmm. as I read it to where I'm like, oh, this is what that means for mm-hmm. me. Um, but 
a lot of people aren't going to put that work in, you know? You know, I think that's the gift of Millenniagram, actually, is that, that the translation has happened in real time, and it's been really, really helpful for a lot of people that wouldn't have made that those connections on mm-hmm. their own. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know... When you say like you weren't, you don't necessarily expect the old guard to respect you or see you in the same light as them. I can understand that, but also what I think is so important about Millenniagram is that throughout human history, people who take something that's really valuable and make it for the masses are often seen as coming in and like disrupting or destroying this kind of sacred cow, or like watering down, or bastardizing, or. There's this concept of, like, you're playing telephone with an ancient thing Mm -hmm. and things are going to get lost in translation. And I am not saying that I've done that perfectly, but I've been very fastidious Mm -hmm. about um, trying to bring something really authentic and not not jeopardizing the, the deep spiritual capacity of the Enneagram. I don't know. That's that's been my intent. Well, I think it comes across because you know to use to use the language of of of, of Christian scripture. Like, look at the fruit. What happens? Like, what's coming from that commitment? And I think what's coming from that commitment is a lot of people being able to see themselves in a more um, healthy way and to interact with other people in a more healthy way, which is always going to be helpful and it's going to be productive and it's going to help us thrive. So I appreciate that. And I think that, the I, again, I think that distilled what you just said is that the gift of Millenniagram is that you've done translation live, like you've done it in real time mm-hmm. and you've given that to us. So for that, we thank you. And I think that's a perfect segue into my next question, which is how has side boob served your pursuit of justice in the world? Oh, my God. Hannah, it's real. It's real. Your side boob has helped like further the pursuit of justice in the world. And I just want to know from you what that's been like. Well, g- okay. <laughs> Give me a minute to formulate my, um, okay. While you're thinking, my ideology. while you're thinking, I'm just going to just, just for, and I think everyone's going to appreciate this, but while you're thinking, no, you just, all right. You I'm just, thinking, you I'm just thinking. mind your own business. Okay. So there's things like, you I'm know, gonna think right into this tequila, think right into that tequila. There's, there's, you know, like for instance, there's the side, there's like the, 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 the weekend, brunch side boob where you're like okay I'm going to brunch I was up late last night but I'm also still looking pretty fly I'm gonna give everyone like this a peek- hair was definitely like doctored from it was doctored but not much the grease of the club but not much and this side boob is going to take me through the day and really take the rest of us through the day as well of course. So there's that. Amen and then, and, and then there's like the professional millenniagram photo shoot where it's like, here I am. I'm an author. I'm a writer. I still have classy side boob. But it's not going to be like too much for you to handle because I have to be able to use this. It's a hint. It's just a It's just hint. a sprinkling. It's really just. It's a smattering. Some of your outfits are really just like ruses of outfits. Ah, uh-huh. yeah, Where it's yeah. like. Fake clothes. Everyone is like. You, you're saying to the world, look at this top. It's a top. I have an outfit on. I'm wearing a top. And I see, as an eight, I see through the bullshit, and I'm like, that's a ruse of a top. You want us to believe you're wearing a top, but there's so much boob happening <laughs> that I'm not fooled. I know there's no top there. Yeah. So, like, well. tell, tell us how your, your side boob, or even and or your under boob, because that also is a part of the equation, how that's helped you. I would say that side boob for me is really a practice mm. um of, i'm feeling this deeply yeah yeah side boob is a practice of um 
integration between the body and the self, you know, bringing one's own like visceral embodied power back into the self and then projecting it back out to the world. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like meditation. I, I know what you mean. You look at your own tit and you're like, amen, I am glad to be in this body. <laughs> and then you just feel centered and then like your breathing like expands and like your lungs just open Thank up. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I'm just going to start singing in the spirit now. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise you, <laughs> Jesus. Oh, God. Um, so, but you didn't answer the question. How did it help you in your pursuit of justice in the world? Well, there's, you can't pursue justice if you're not embodied. Uh. I'm giving snaps. Millennial queer trauma. Hey! hey. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Hey, Hannah, it's Emma. Just wanted to say congrats on the book, and I'm so excited to share it with everyone so they can learn more about themselves the way I have through Millenniagram. Love you so much. Congrats. Hannah, it's Jamie Lee Finch. I'm so fucking proud of you, you powerful bitch. You did it. You wrote a book. Happy book day, bitch. I am so excited for your little baby book to be out in the world. Um, it's gonna make a lot of people happy and cry and angry and whatever. We're all gonna get our lives. Congratulations. This is my this is my last and final serious question, okay. and I actually am really intrigued to hear your answer to this. I'm scared. So, from my perspective, mm-hmm. um, I feel like capitalism has an obsession with formal education, higher education, certification, paying often tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars to be educated in a very particular way and in a particular system that then will stamp you as an expert when you've gone through that particular system, mm. which I think has been very helpful for many, many people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and people who have access to that kind of um, formal system of education, I think that um, it has been helpful. But obviously you haven't had access to that. And so you have pursued your education and you've pursued... Um, your own formal or informal system of certification for for the Enneagram. I'd love to hear about what that's been like for you, the tension between knowing that there are certain people that say you're not an expert because you haven't done it in this particular way. Right, right. No, it's definitely a thing. Um, I've I've experienced some some genuine... um, censure for my... for not being certified. I would say... Um, I have nothing against that process. I think, um, I'm, I'm open to it. I, I am, I have a, I truly, I'm very humble. I'm the most humble person (laughs) I know. Um, but, but truly I, I, I never think that I've arrived. I am fascinated to learn more. I know that there's so much more that, that I, of learning that I have to expand, but I would say, I think my own, um, it is my own passion to learn that has fueled me in my research. Um, and I think what can happen sometimes in Enneagram certification programs is that they kind of pump out, uh, more of the same, Mm. you know, because the same education is imparted, the same 
way of navigating the Enneagram is taught. And so um, understandably, the those who have been certified will then go on to educate in the same way that they were educated. And, and they're trying to, to do service. They're trying to do a service to their education respectfully, reverently of like imparting it the way mm-hmm. that it was imparted to them. And I absolutely respect that. I do think though that if we're going to have new voices, new experiences, I think especially when we're looking at those of us who've, who are more marginalized, who live, you know, in lower tax brackets, who are queer, who are, you know, <laughs> who are younger, who don't who are have, millennial. who are millennials, who don't have who access. come from a lot of evangelical trauma. Trauma. Oh, bless it. Hallelujah. Um, I think that having a, having a brand new voice maybe requires a new form of education. I Ooh. think the people that I respect the most are people who have created something out of nothing, who have, who have done the research to do the thing that they most want to do. Mm. I think of people like the Jamie Lee Finches who mm-hmm. have created, n- nobody was telling her mm. how to be uh, an a embodiment sex witch coach. or yeah. an embodiment coach. Nobody told her how to do that, but she knew what she wanted. And she there, it was no less rigorous of a process. You know, um, it required so much so much research, interviews, like behind the in scenes. In some ways, work. it was more rigorous because she didn't have the support system that she didn't formal have education fucking, for that particular kind of thing comes with. Right. You don't have a fucking, um, what is that called that, that professors give you at the beginning of the a syllabus? A syllabus. There's yeah. no syllabus right. for this. You have to create it. Correct. Yeah. And so I think there's absolutely space there for slacking off and, and claiming expertise when you don't have it. I don't think that is. Uh, my experience. I have worked very hard to arrive at where I'm at and will continue to do so. Well, from a Gen Xer Mm -hmm. who was an absolute Enneagram skeptic and cynic, um, specifically because of what you just said about the old guard um, educating and kind of pumping out... um, uh, clones. Pumping out... Clones and really what I was seeing because of my evangelical background was what I was seeing was a lot of cishet white men and women that were becoming certified and and replicating the information in a very particular way. Yeah. Um, I because of my trauma, hey. I shied away from it saying that's not going to be helpful for me because mm. it doesn't matter what the content is. If you're packaging it in that way, I'm, I won't be able to hear it. I won't be able sure. to absorb it. Sure. Um, so I am just really grateful, Hannah, that you did the translation for us. You gave us the gift of um, hearing something that is an ancient tool and it is full of wisdom and, in, and full of embodiment. And you taught us how to see it and how to talk about it in a very particular way that's actually helpful. And I'm not a millennial. But I I have benefited from it, and I'm really grateful. Thank you. And I feel like my goal is to make the Enneagram accessible to um, people like me. I, I can't fucking afford a certification. You know, I'm honestly, like, I truly love learning so much that I'm happy to get one um, at some point. And, you know, maybe, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what the future holds. I'm going to attend hello workshops and totally um well you're a lifelong learner and you're committed to this tool so I think that that is something that's really beautiful but I just also want to say just to bring a voice of validation to your process which is 
If you feel that that is something that you want to do in the future, great. I support you. I think it's wonderful because your passion to learn is at the, at the, it's the catalyst for that, um, for that decision. However, you are an expert and you have helped really change so many people's lives by doing the work for us. And we are very, very grateful. Thank you. Wow. Okay, so Hannah, we talked a little bit about your heretical nature of not being certified or called or qualified. Well, I think you're called. <laughs> Don't say called to me, he Corey. He said called and qualified. Don't so. say called and qualified to me, Corey. Do not. Okay, fine. So, Hannah, I would like you to talk about why you changed all of the names of the numbers in your book because they're all different. They they're new. Corey Pig coming in with a great on. They're fun. So, um, yeah, I would like to hear why you did that. Yeah. So I think um, there were... And if you could, go through them. Because yeah, yeah. we we kind of did on season one, but we kind of didn't because you were in the middle of changing some of yes. them. So um, for the one, I've written The Machine. Um, I like that because I think there's a sense with the ones where they are trying to... Um, create an ideal version of themselves they want to be they want to do the most good they want to be um the most correct versions of themselves um and there's there's almost kind of this impetus to create um kind of a a machine-like quality to themselves like they they want that they want the output to be constant um what is the one called Historically, reformer, the reformer perfectionist, or the perfectionist, and those totally make sense as well. Um, I just, I, I wanted to kind of update the terminology so that it would, um, so that it would be more relevant, more applicable to my fellow millennials. Drink. Um, the two I have created to be the parent. Um, I had originally called it the mom, but there, I just wanted it to be gender neutral, and I think that. Um, I think that twos, especially healthy twos, kind of um, push against this idea of them uh, being seen as nurturers or caretakers. I think there is an integral part of the two that that um, leans into that. But I think um, I think there's an interesting metaphor of parenthood there when we think about um, it's the work of. It's the work of a caretaker, of a parent, of a guardian to um, to show whoever it is that they're taking care of how they can be their truest self and how they can mm. seek their own happiness. So um, I think the exciting thing about being a two is that you don't have to stay in this constant others-focused caretaking role, but that you get to essentially... Uh, portray to others embody it first and, yes. and show them what that looks like which I think I've learned a lot about being around people like you as a parent where you are trying to show your kids what it means like to to live your life as your true self mm. uh, you're trying to model that for mm. them which I think is um an amazing um an amazing thing that that healthy twos can show the world um the three I have styled as the winner um, because they tend to be very successful. They tend to be, they have all of the work ethic and all of the charisma um, to get shit done and to make people like them in the process. 
Um, but what what ain't can, that the fucking truth? It is the fucking truth. Um, but what can kind of get lost in the process is the self, or it can be easy to project to others what you want them to see and and forget to um, to prioritize the self. So. That's the three. The four I've styled as a tortured artist um, because I think fours are so beautifully inherently creative, but we really struggle with self-sabotage of, you know, we ha- there's such a sense of idealization. There's such a focus on the past and the future that keeps us stuck from creating in the present and just putting out something that maybe isn't exactly what we have styled in our minds. Um, the five I've called the detective because I love the way that fives, um, really just like they research the hell out of shit. Like they want to know why they're so analytical. They, um, they are able to access details and synthesize, you know, different, um, areas of study in ways that, uh, make them true geniuses. But then sometimes there's a bit of a sense of being a disembodied brain, so, um, forgetting the embodiment portion that is important. The six I've called the oracle because, um, given as they are to, um, catastrophizing or considering every possible scenario, um, they are part of the thinking triad. So they're definitely always, their, their minds are on overdrive, but they're thinking about what could happen. What's the worst possible outcome to a situation so you're never going to ask a six for advice and not get like a well thought out response and I think um I love that the sixes that I have been close with have been the most loyal the most invested the most um conscientious about giving me like the best advice because it's not something that they're thinking up on the fly they've literally already thought about this love it um, the sevens I've called the party because they are the most fun of any of the types. Lo siento, like that is what it is. Um, they are fascinating. They are exciting. They, um, I, I hate to use stereotypes because I would say a lot of sevens really, um, take over the room. Like people want to be around them. They are socially really exciting not all sevens are that way, but they do tend to kind of be jack-of-all-trades, um, cats with nine lives. Like, they land on their feet. They're good at everything that they try. Um, they're fascinated by a large range of experiences, and um, they tend to just keep moving, which can mask, like, an underlying fear that they're trying to not access. Um, the eight I've called the dragon because they are... They are um, powerful they are given to um uh fighting the battles that matter to them they don't shrink away um they don't hide from those they are not afraid of conflict they are powerful embodied i think eights are the the number that i find are the most um in touch with their own body's wisdom and can um and can access that quickly. They don't have to like sit there and, and necessarily think through it. Like their intuition is right at the front, um, which is super inspiring to me. And then finally, the nines I've called the wallflower, which doesn't mean that um, they're lazy or uninteresting, but often there's there's a sense of self-forgetfulness with nines where they can kind of just get into the, um, 
into the stream of life and just sort of let it take them. Um, and I, you know, it makes them amazing friends. It makes them amazing partners because they are so giving, they are so, um, self-effacing, but, um, sometimes being present to their own lives and being present to their own true selves can be a task or a difficulty. So, um, yeah, those are, those are the names. What made you want to change the names though? Um, some of them, some of the classic names felt more understandable than others. Like the six was called the loyalist and like, what is that? What, what I, I mean, I know what that word means technically, but I don't think that it probably feels very relatable to most of the other numbers. Um, also, I would say it's not necessarily indicative of only sixes. You know what I mean? Like, right. there's loyalty characteristics in several different numbers. Yeah, so I just wanted to pick numbers <laughs> that that would evoke an image immediately in younger generations. Yeah, it is It is really incredible. I, and I had the privilege of being in an Enneagram workshop with you um, yesterday. And, you know, you talk about this all the time and you... Um, you're, you've you found clever ways to um, make Enneagram accessible in our everyday lives. But at the end of the day, you also actually just know the actual shit. Like you are not, um, you're not just um, capitalizing on the cool parts or the fun parts or the interesting, like um, relatable parts. Like in the workshop yesterday, I was like, holy shit, I'm learning so much right now. And I hear you oh, talking about good. it all the time. So it's really incredible. If you ever have a chance to go to one of Hannah Posh's Millenniagram workshops, it is absolutely worth any any money that you would ever drop on it. Um, and bring this, me to your fucking city. Bring bring her to your city. Bring her to your church. Bring her to your book club. Bring her to your bookstores. Bring her to your community organizing events. Um, honestly, I, I do want to say this as a former community organizer working in um, very, very dense urban populations, particularly in historically black and brown um, populations. Um, I did community organizing for years with um, people who have been overlooked and people who have been told that because they don't have access to education, they don't have access to health care, they don't have access to the things that um, middle and upper class people have that they don't know what they're doing and they have changed their communities. And if you are a community organizer, I, I absolutely implore you to look into bringing Hannah Posh into the work that you're doing because understanding how to interact with yourself and with other people is key to, um, to change. And change is really, really difficult, especially if it's been the same way for a very long time. So if you're a community organizer Hit up hannahposh.com and see if you can bring her in to help um, support the work that you're doing. And I think that you will find that the work that you are doing is maximized in incredible ways. Thank you so much. That is a huge vote of confidence. Um, I'd like to end with just like a little teaser. Yeah. From the book, if that's okay. Please do. Um, there are... Largely, I use the the terms that are already accepted by the Enneagram, but there are a couple of words that I made up, um, terminology that I made up that that feels um, prescient mm. to um, the way that me and my peers navigate the world. Um, 
instead of, well, alongside the term coping mechanisms, I've used the word brain ruts because I feel like um, as we are writing what is essentially the survival story of our life, um, we can get caught in kind of these cyclical plot lines um, that are almost like literally a tire getting stuck in mud, like Mm. a rut that keeps us from being able to pull ourselves out. And we, it, it takes an enormous amount of self-awareness to realize that that's happening. Um, sometimes it's only something that we realize in retrospect. And and sometimes when we realize it in retrospect, we end up shaming the hell out of ourselves, mm-hmm. which is not useful. Mm-hmm. and doesn't actually get us any further in our journey. So um, I'm excited for you to get the book so that you can hear a little bit more about brain ruts and survival stories and how that plays into the work of Enneagram. But... Um, I want to read just a little portion from the end of the first chapter to kind of get you excited, get you inspired, you know, like a sad pipe talk. It's fine. Okay. So, like, my go-to phrase in all of this work is that you are the point of view. I think that's something that um, in very, in sometimes subtle ways and sometimes very, like, outrageous, obvious ways, um, capitalism, uh, white supremacy, um, evangelicalism, fundamentalism, all of these systems take away from us this ownership of our own selves um, and our bodies and and our stories. So um, at the heart of Millenniagram is that you are the point of view. So I'm going to read this little excerpt and hopefully it will get us excited about like delving into this work together, digging ourselves out of our goddamn ditches, which is what I say all the fucking time. Um, Okay, let's do this. You are living the only life you get. You will play important roles in other lives, but this is the only one you get. This is the only body that you know of. This is the only time. No pressure, but your life is happening now all around you. It's time to quit phoning that shit in. No matter what brain ruts or coping mechanisms your personality has learned to rely on, you cannot lose you. Your essence is always there, nestled in your body, waiting for permission to come out and run around a bit. Acknowledge her or acknowledge her later. She'll still be there waiting. It's time to jump in, friends. Listen, I know you like shit handed to you, but the truth is that finding out your number is kind of like a little self-discovery journey. Yes, there's a quiz next to find out your type. I put a quiz in there. I kind of hate myself for it. It's fine. Um, No one test can tell you exactly what your type is. At the end of the day, the type that punches you in the gut and runs off with your purse is you, boo. Oh, my God. It's so good. Remember that you are the point of you. You have just a few hours, a few days, strung together like paper links in a chain, a few precious years to live, to fuck, to laugh, to build, to love, and to fight. This is it. Babes and trolls, kids and queers... We have gathered here today to change. We are here to climb our mountains, to face our demons, to write new adventures. Let's dig ourselves out of our goddamn ditches together. Yeah. I can. I'll never stop crying when I hear it. It's oh so my good. god! So I love it. I love it. All right, people. It's out May seventh. Let's do this. No. May seventh. Go get your copy Word now. It as it's out now because this is the future. <laughs> okay. Hey, bitches, Millenniagram is now out, so get yourself a copy right now. Okay, I really do want you to order it from your local queer bookshop, but if that's not an option, queer, hey. I mean, Um, honestly, like, I'm the anti-millennial, millennial, millennial, 
Go get it from Amazon. It's ten dollars cheaper than your independent bookstore. It's on yeah. Prime. It's just so do that. Cheap. Like, don't waste your time paying double at an independent bookstore. <laughs> Unless that's your principle, and then definitely stick to it. Right. Hey. Hey. Listen to Corey. Listen to me. Do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs>